Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I'm Eric Eastep. And I'm Scott Reevely. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back, listeners. Scott, I have a surprise for you. Well, it's not actually a surprise, but I'm excited that we have our first return guest today that we get to uh, interview. And um, frequent listeners of this podcast know that we often will quote political visions and illusions um, by David Coises. Uh, that's if there was a bingo card for the City on a Hill podcast, that would definitely be on there. And we're excited in the to middle, have, probably definitely in the middle, definitely in the middle. Um, and we're excited to have him. He obviously holds the PhD in government and international studies from the University of uh, Notre Dame and is affiliated with Global Scholars Canada. And we're not going to talk with him about political visions and illusions because we've already done that on the, on the show. But instead, we're going to chat about we answer to another uh, authority office in the image of God. So, uh, Dr. Coises, welcome back. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. When I was doing some initial research, obviously, and really enjoyed the book, but one of the things I came across is that uh, you are the re- recipient of the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee oh, yes. Medal. Uh, can, can you tell me more about that? <laughs> yes. Well, um, uh, the Canadian government uh, minted a, I don't, I don't remember how many medals, but, uh, but there were nominations that were made for various people, uh, not necessarily uh, prominent people, but people who had contributed in some way, a unique way to uh, to public life in this country. And so um, I was nominated by a fellow named Peter Bhatti. Um, his brother, uh, the late Shabazz Bhatti, was the Minister of Minorities in the Pakistani government before he, his assassination in March of 2011. And so I, I had met Peter before that, and he he uh, lives here in Canada. And I had done some consulting work for his organization called International Christian Voice, which is dedicated to protecting religious minorities in Pakistan. And so, um, so he was the one who nominated for me this nominated me for this particular honor. Hmm. Wow, that's, that's quite a story. I'm glad you asked. Yeah, Eric. that's yeah, a high I, honor and a, and a wonderful work. Right. Yes, it definitely, it yeah. just sounds cool to get an award from the queen when you're <laughs> south of the border here. We just thought that was something, but that's a great story. Right. Thank you. Right. That's, that's fantastic. So uh, in the book, we answer to another, obviously, you talk about authority a great deal, uh, but I want to start with just the most basic. Uh, how would you define authority? Well, authority is something that, that I think, um, uh, well, authority is something that every one of us has. Um, it, it's given us by God. I would argue that the image of God, which is spoken of not in very very many places in the Bible, but in in in, in several places, uh, most notably at the beginning of Genesis, uh, the image of God, I would argue, is a grant of authority, and authority is is resident in a particular office that we are given. We are uh, we are uh, human beings. We are the image of God. Some people would say that we bear the image of God. Um, others will say we are the image of God, and I think I would tend to follow that particular um, uh, that that particular path. Uh, we are the image of God, and uh, and that means that we have a certain authority 
over over the rest of creation, over each other, um, over ourselves, and uh, and and what that in, entails is that um, is that th- this authority is something which um, uh, you know is not is not a particular power that we have over other people, although authority does exert a certain kind of power on others. But authority is something that that is given us by God, and it's resident in in the office. Our humanity, our very humanity, is an office given by God, and then that office is dispersed in a variety of other offices that are relevant to the various communities of which we are members. Hmm. So, so if it isn't uh, limited to power, what would how would I know authority? is being exerted on me or, or maybe I have authority, but I I'm not using it the way I should. What, what would I be looking for? Right. right. Yeah. Authority. Um, uh, authority is something which uh, it, it, it exerts a certain hold on us and it is, it is difficult to define it completely. You know, it's, it's the sort of thing that you can say, well, I know it when I see it. Mm. Um, I, I know authority when I see it, you know, if you enter an intersection and there is a, uh, a traffic cop in the middle of the intersection directing traffic, uh, you sense immediately. You don't have to go through an elaborate reasoning process along the lines of Immanuel Kant's categorical imperative, for example, <laughs> to know that this man in the intersection has authority. And usually the, 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 um, the, the uniform is enough to indicate that to you. So you don't know whether he's a virtuous man. You don't know whether he beats his wife. You don't know whether he is kind or, or cruel to animals. All you know is that he is there. He's directing traffic, and he has authority. Hmm. So, as we're as we're thinking about that, um, obviously, there's a there's a full book that you wrote about authority. And I, I'm an American, uh, so often we're thinking about getting rid of authority or pushing against authority. <laughs> but you wrote a whole book, um, really a- aiming to support or. Uh, bolster our idea about authority. What what drove you to write a book like that? What, what's the purpose behind it? Yeah, this actually started when I was in graduate school at Notre Dame because I I, I wrote my dissertation on two um, different Christian philosophers. Uh, one of whom was named Herman Doiver. He was a Dutch a Reformed Christian philosopher who lived from 1894 to 1977. And then uh, the second person that I looked at was a neo Thomist. In other words, a follower of, of Thomas Aquinas and ultimately of Aristotle in some sense, uh, a, a Roman Catholic by the name of Yves René Simon, who was born in in France in 1903, um, died far too young in 19, 1961. He taught at Notre Dame between 1938 and 1948, after which he went to the University of Chicago and taught there for the rest of rest of his life. Um, he he uh, was a he wrote extensively on authority. So there was a book that he wrote in 1951 called Philosophy of a Democratic Government. Uh, there was another one that was published after his death, uh, the year after his death, called The General Theory of Authority. And uh, and from a basically an Aristotelian perspective, he was trying to unpack what we mean by, by authority. And so that's where my interest in authority arose. But it also arose partly because I saw that um, that in the Western world, this is something that Simon pointed out, that in the Western world, at least since 1789, the, which saw, saw the outbreak of the French mm. Revolution, mm-hmm. authority has had something of a bad name. So we think of authority as something that somehow suppresses innate goodness. Um, it's somehow, uh, it's it's oppressive. It's, it's uh, 
Um, it's uh, it's uh, self-interested, as as it were. Uh, but uh, um, Simon argued that it was that it's it's not the case that authority is actually um, it's complementary with freedom. And I would go even farther than that because I would argue that what we think of as personal freedom is really a kind of authority. So the authority mm-hmm. that we have over the direction of our own lives, uh, you know, you can see this as as young people are growing to adulthood, that they are less under their parents' direct authority, although their parents s- still exert a certain um, exemplary authority over them, even after that, even after they grow up, you know, so uh, adults would respect, uh, you know, somebody who's 30 years old might still respect their parents' Uh, wisdom in a, in a particular issue. It's not as though the parents have a right to uh, tell the children what to do or the adult child what to do, but nevertheless, they they, cert- they still have that parental authority, um, arguably right up until they die. And so, authority, I think, is is it's all around us. As soon as we think that we have gotten rid of it, the we 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 have it. Authority asserts itself in some way, and uh, um, and sometimes in, in perverted ways, but it, it's always there. Hmm. So in that regard, uh, growing up is almost a um, putting on of the authority that you have as an image bearer and and maturing into authority. That That is going through adolescence and going to adulthood. That is uh, gaining authority. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and there's a sense in which, and this is what Simone points out, that uh, the parental authority gradually uh, contracts as the as the child is growing to maturity. You know, I can see that with respect to my own growing up, um, vis-a-vis my own parents. I can see that with with respect to our twenty five year old daughter. And you know, the relationship changes, but there's there's authority, and 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 the adult child then has um, uh, has to take on adult responsibilities, which are mm. part and parcel of this larger uh, um, uh, manifestation of authority. Mm. So it sounds like you're talking about authority as a given, kind of by virtue of being human, by virtue of the relationship between um, people or organizations or something. But is there a difference between like good authority and bad authority? Oh yes, almost definitely <laughs> yes. <laughs> because it's not just then it's not just yeah. a given, right? Yeah. Or is it? I mean, how does that oh, how does that play in? Yeah, it is a given, but you know the 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 we are we are created as God's as God's image, but we can abuse that image in all sorts of ways, mm. you know. So if if I, I would tie authority very closely to this to the image of God, um, authority is is often subject to abuse, and it's those abuses that give authority the bad name. So you know, we, we if we think about authority, we think well, you know, and, and I'm going to speak as I'm. I'm a dual citizen of both Canada and the United States. I was born and raised in the United States. I've lived in Canada for most of my life. But but growing up in the public schools in the United States, there was always this glorification of the of the war for independence, in which the United States cast off the authority of the crown and mm. then um, went 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 their own way. And so there's a kind of almost inbuilt into the American political culture, far less so in Canada, but an almost an inbuilt suspicion of authority. Uh, uh, in the United States, and I think that's that's made its way into the political culture in a whole variety of ways. I, I want to go ahead, Scott. 
I was just going to say, what are some of those ways that that shows up, that anti-authority? Well, um, I think, you know, I hesitate to say this. This is going to be controversial, but I think the gun culture may have something to do with that. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. in in Canada, you know, people who are conservative are are not necessarily going to be talking a lot about guns. I think that's more the case in the United States because they they recognize that, that their forebears in the 18th century were able to, you know, throw off British rule um, through the use of, uh, you know, by, because there were there was private ownership of weapons. And, you know, if you go back to the Middle Ages, I think the same thing could be said for the uh, the, the rise of constitutional government in, in England. Uh, you know, the, the England had a very powerful aristocracy, uh, something which in France, the kings were able to break the power of the nobility under the various Bourbon monarchs, the Louis and so forth, you know, Louis XIV in, in particular. Peter the Great did the same thing in Russia in the um, the end of the um, 17th, the beginning of the 18th centuries, to break the power of the nobility. But in, in England, uh, the nobility had these castles, they could fortify the castles, they had their own private armies, as it were. And uh, and the way that parliamentary government that um, developed in England was was through the, uh, uh, through, partly through the power of the nobility, exercised through the upper chamber, the House of Lords. So I think Americans have um, um, inherited some of that, more than Canadians have, I think. But, uh, but, but, but along with that comes a suspicion of authority. You know, we don't want our leaders to get, to get too big. We don't, we don't want them mm. to, to become too um, um, self-satisfied. We don't want them to become complacent. So, you know, we want, we want to, we want to keep an eye on them. Even, even if we don't own a gun, we want to keep an eye on them and make sure that they, that they do our bidding. That's fascinating. Well, I just recently also finished a book uh, that talks about the, the quirky nature of the English parliament, as it were, uh, how it was called how the English invented freedom. And it was just talking about how uh, something peculiar was happening uh, in, in Britannia and yeah allowed for the development of democracy in a particular way and a particular flavor that we experience in America and Canada. That's, that's different than a lot of the world. That's right. It, it, it it always has me waffling back and forth about the American revolution. Um, Cause (laughs) the way that book described it is essentially with, if I were to use your language of um, citizens having an office, they were, the book was saying, you know, they were appealing to their office and as though the the game That's was right. not being played by the rules that uh, they understood them, the, the, the game that they were playing. So would That's you say, right. um, and we, we don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole, we yeah, can go more no. practical in a second, but would you say that the American Revolution is an example of people saying, okay, this line of authority has been crossed and now we need to, um, as American colonies uh, push back, or was it simply... No, they're be, they're being rebellious against authority, and now we're yeah. uh, Americans are are the an- ancestors of that. Or no, no, yeah, and I, I think I have to I have to qualify what I said a little bit earlier because there really was an issue of authority that that um, um, that was fought over in um, you know between 1775 and 1783. There really was an issue of authority because the Americans believed that their loyalty was to the crown. But not to the not to the to the English Parliament or the British Parliament by the 18th century, mm. you know. So so the the British Parliament was claiming authority over the colonies, but the the colonial leaders would say, "Wait a minute, we made our charters with the king." You know, they mm. were the Stuart Stuart monarchs in the early um, 17th century. Those our charters are with the king, not with something called the British Parliament. 
So they saw themselves as being in a personal union with Great Britain and Ireland and the Kingdom of Hanover, you know, mm. if uh, you get into the 18th century. Uh, and and no no more did, did Parliament in London have authority over the American colonies than they had over the Kingdom of Hanover, of which the, the Hanoverian monarchs were also were also rulers. So mm. it, it, there really was a legitimate um, issue of authority. If if Americans were if if they had any fault is that they thought that the Commonwealth of Nations as it exists now was already existent in the 18th century. Mm. So you know though there are about 15 Commonwealth realms of which King Charles III is now is the king. You know Canada is one of them, Australia, uh, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and a, a handful of Caribbean um, constitutional monarchies as well. Uh, and the Americans really believe that, yeah, we were in a personal union with Great Britain, but but their parliament doesn't have any oversight over us. Mm. That's fascinating. And I that, that's going to be a constant because it's it's always a, a question of really a Romans 13 question and submission to yeah. authority and whether whether they did that's or whether they didn't. And it's there's there's always these tensions in play. So um, can I can I just interrupt you there, Eric? Yeah. The, I think there's a bigger issue that um, for, for me as a pastor, and that is that um, it is perceived by some to be virtuous to oppose or to throw off authority, that that's somehow a Christian virtue. I mean, we uh, there I, I don't remember who was famous for claiming death to tyrants, but that's become a religious rallying cry of sorts and, mm. and and what what do i do about that yeah yeah well that's um um death to tyrants uh, you know but but i guess what i would say is that resistance against tyranny and this is something that i'm going to deal with in my next book which we'll talk about in a little bit mm. uh resistance against against tyranny um is and can be a good but it's not so much a throwing off of authority as a recognition, perhaps, of a higher authority. So, you know, we're not throwing off authority so that we can just do whatever we want to. Uh, you know, if if we are trying to end one agent's authority over us, we are doing so because we believe that there is either a higher agent or because another agent um, has legitimate authority. So there's always the question of legitimacy that comes into play when we're when we're talking about authority. Mm. So it's not just a yes, there is somebody who has authority over me, or no, there isn't. Yes, <laughs> I don't have a yes or no question, really, no. do I? Okay. It's, it's it's which authority? Okay, so is it is it author, uh, authority of Agent A or the authority of Agent B? It may mm. be that one of them is usurping authority or asserting authority that they do not legitimately have. And of course, that's the sort of thing that can lead to battles, you know, literal battles on the battlefield. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that authority that we would appeal to cannot just be me. I'm an image bearer and I don't yeah. like what you're telling me to do, thus death to yeah. tyrants, because I'm the higher authority. Yeah. That would be a um that's that's liberalism taken to the extreme, right? That I, is, I am yes. the definer of yes. authority. Exactly. Uh, but you have to appeal to something higher than the authority that is acting as a tyrant yes yes absolutely that's right okay if yeah. if we were to put the shoe on the other foot and ask about submission 
what is the how do you see the nature of submission and practically how does that work into your view of authority well what what do you mean by submission in the first place how, well i'm assuming that um i mean authority i suppose can be coercive yes or my volunteer my voluntary response to authority would be submission That's okay right, right. is that is, right. is that can i do better than that as far as thinking about yeah. submission between husbands and wives submission to parents submission to government right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Submission. It's a, that's a word that we don't like these days. You know, it sounds, it sounds that's like I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. You're suppressing yourself. Somehow you are you know, maybe oppressing yourself perhaps by submitting mm -hmm. to, to somebody else. Um, but uh, when you come right down to it, all cooperation in any kind of a social context requires submission to authority. Hmm. Um, and, and this is something that, that, um, um, that I, that I think is 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 we we need to recognize because if uh, if for example you have an orchestra that's made up of of different uh, instruments you know we've if you go to a concert and and just and before the conductor comes onto the stage you you hear utter cacophony as people are tuning their instruments as they're playing certain parts of the symphony or whatever it is that they're going to be playing you know it's not a pretty sound it's it's uh, it's it, it's 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 very disorganized and then the conductor comes up and everything changes and the conductor then you know takes the bow everybody claps and then the opening movement of i don't know boom, 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 beethoven's fifth symphony perhaps and then everything sounds really nice and we recognize that the authority of that conductor has changed what's happening on that stage and and the the players are submitting to the authority of the conductor and in so doing, they are giving us a real treat in terms of the music that we are mm. hearing on that stage. And that would not be possible um, if it were not for the conductor. Now, there are small musical groups, you know, maybe um, small, maybe magical groups where there's no one obvious director. But, but they may still be looking at the first person to the right or to the left or where that person is standing to get started and to maintain a particular, particular uh, uh, pace. A particular tempo to the music and so even even their authority enters the picture mm. so so to keep going with the musical comparisons yeah. what about jazz music i mean that yeah. the improvisation and all that is that is that uh, anti-authority or or yeah. how do you see that Oh, I don't think so. No, I, I love jazz music. You know, this is something that I've um, uh, that over the last um, couple of decades, I've really developed an affinity for jazz music. I listen to the jazz station that comes out of Toronto, and and I've actually learned quite a bit from listening to that station. And then I go and search for things on YouTube and listen to those. And sometimes that helps me to decide to purchase something on um, on iTunes you know which uh, which is uh, uh, which mm -hmm. which is quite pleasant but there's a you know there's a real sophistication for jazz uh you know the kinds of chord progressions that come in and the kind of uh um you know that there there are um you know there there are um improvised solos and so forth for saxophones and sometimes drums and the like in different instruments uh but they they have to follow certain kinds of strict standards in order to make it work because otherwise it could degenerate into cacophony i think it's a you know the on on in an orchestra everybody's reading off the same sheet of music 
I'm not sure that that's always the case with jazz, and I don't know very much about jazz notation, how that all works. But uh, but you know you have to at least be sounding uh, um, a, a note that's within the same chord that's going on at that moment. And of course, in jazz, you have the chords shifting constantly throughout a, throughout a piece. So uh, um, I I think authority is present even in a, in a jazz composition. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. And performance. One of the things, uh, and I actually got this from your website. You have a mission statement. Um, and one of your key points in your mission statement is to affirm the role of authority in human flourishing. Yeah. And how would you say that authority helps humans flourish? Oh, in a whole variety of ways. You know, it's uh, um, um, the the fact that, well, I'm sitting in our house here, the house was built in 1961 um, on what Hamiltonians call Hamilton Mountain. People from British Columbia and so forth wouldn't recognize this as a mountain, but it's really the Niagara Escarpment that runs through Hamilton. But we have a house that, that's sitting here. It was built according to a particular floor plan. Uh, an architect had to design it. Um, the construction company had to come and uh, fulfill the, um, uh, the 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 design of the architect. And uh, and 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 the whole city is filled with structures that have gone through exactly the same process, you know, at, at various times over the last approximately 175 years and uh you know so so the buildings that we live in um the the cars that we drive have to be done to very exact specifications safety standards are, are would have to be very strict because there's so many dangers on the road if, if cars are not um, are not built properly um the same with air travel or any kind of train travel any kind of travel um our ability to um uh well my ability to to publish this this book depends on a publishing company that's set up and is governed by strict standards that enable this to happen so you know we are relying on each other in order to flourish um mm -hmm. even famous people who make a name for themselves they're not self-made human beings um they they are dependent on a whole network of people who have helped to bring them to the to the position where they are right now uh, that's true of the president of the united states it's true of the prime minister of canada is true for, um, for for leaders in a whole variety of, of fields. So flourishing, you know, the fact that, that that we live in the kind of society where we have these amazing technical means that I can talk to you from across North America uh, using my computer, and that you can record it and then send it out to people on a podcast means that that, that there, there are all these authoritative structures that are around, around us that, that enable us to do these things. They empower us to do these things. So th this <laughs> this seems to me like you um, you see another dimension to all of the things that I normally experience. I bumble through my day, and you know maybe if I see a police <laughs> officer, I think of authority or something. But, yeah. but you're suggesting that that as soon as um, as soon as I like flip on the light switch, there's some kind of uh authority present in the permitting of that electricity that makes it to my house that i mean yeah. kind of every you're seeing you're seeing webs of authority in yeah. virtually every relationship is that fair to say absolutely that's okay. exactly right that's right yeah so if we were to see it the way you see it we would sort of see another dimension also i think so you know yeah, and this okay. is some, this is something that came out in the classroom when i was teaching um, i've been retired for about six years but the um but in the classroom 
I would ask my students, and admittedly, it was a kind of trick question. These are my first year students, so they're about <laughs> eight, 18 and 19 years old. They're easy they to take, take, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. Okay. But, uh, but, I, but I, would, I would say, who has authority in the classroom? And they would point to me, and I say, yes, but you have authority as well. So each of us has an authoritative office relative to the classroom community. So I have the authority of an instructor or professor. You have the authority of student, and that is an authoritative office. You know, they, the student has not set the terms of the course, obviously. The professor has done that within the larger constraints that are imposed by the university administration. So there's a kind of um, web of authority again. You know, you could talk about a hierarchy if you want, if you if you recognize that that's uh, that it's it's relative that that hierarchy is relative to the uh, the community in which we find ourselves. So a student has authority, and as professor, I am bound to respect the authority of the student. I have to treat them fairly. I uh, I am bound uh, to 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 mark their work fairly. I am I am bound to uh, to to return the work to them in timely fashion. Uh, they are bound to respect my authority. Um, they are bound to remain quiet in, in the classroom unless they are you know have the permission to speak uh you know but but they have authority that i have to respect as well i have to come to class at a particular hour of the day and they have a right to expect me to come to class as well so authority every community has authority and it's not just resident in the higher offices it's a resident throughout the community hmm. thank you can can I go back a little bit to where we started, if that's fair with the, with regard to family? Sure. Uh, I just um, over the course of this last year, I, I watched a documentary called "Shiny Happy People" about uh, uh, Institute of uh, Basic Life Principles. I think Bill Gothard, you might recognize that name. Oh yes, yes, that's right. And just and one of his big teachings was about authority. And he talked about this, and I just read Counting the Cost uh, by one of the Duggar children who was in that video. But there's an umbrella of authority, and if you stay under the umbrella, you're where God wants you. And if you, you know, get out, step mm -hmm. out of the umbrella, then you're exposed. How Can you just do a little bit of, uh, can you help me with that just a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that's seriously an error, to be honest. You know, the uh -huh. authority, yeah, authority again um there are some people who think that authority is resident only in the higher offices you know that, that the hierarchy mm. somehow places everybody under that higher office sometimes in in every area of life you know and and that's a very it's a very um simplistic understanding of authority it's a very undifferentiated understanding of authority as mm. well so to talk about that umbrella, to talk about a chain of command is something that we often hear that's of what as they well. Talk about, yeah. yeah, that's right. And that's that's kind of a military metaphor that's inappropriately brought into other um other settings where, where it really does not belong. You know, so so if you have a, a teenager growing growing up in your house, you know, they are you are gradually pulling back and allowing them more authority. And sometimes, you know, it's like this. It's 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 mm -hmm. uh there's a bit of a uh, you know argument, a bit of a fight as to what's going on, and that's almost in the nature of the case. That that's going to happen. Nothing nothing wrong with that, you know. So simply to say, well, you know, you need to obey your parents. Well, yes, but it's also true that the parents need to relinquish their control as the child 
uh, reaches maturity. You know, so so um, so even in that kind of a setting, to talk about um, um, you know, talk about authority and a kind of chain of command is not really appropriate, even in a business enterprise in a large corporation. You know, the the board of governors, the board of directors is going to be making the, the ultimate decision. Uh, suppose I suppose you know the manager will be under the board and so forth, and there are various employees that are under them. But it's an extremely unwise manager who does not take into account the um, um, the aspirations and the needs and the um, and the um, and the input of the the other employees. So it's uh, you know it, I think uh, unfortunately I think some of this chain of command um, uh, the chain of command uh, uh, language is something that is that is ultimately subversive of a proper understanding of authority. Mm-hmm. You know they well, think they are defending authority. That. Yeah, they think they are defending authority, but they really are subverting a proper understanding of authority. Boy, that's really helpful to me. Thank you very much. Um, Which is ironic because, yeah, you tell somebody who's big into chain of command that they're actually subverting authority, and <laughs> you'd have a very interesting conversation. Oh, that's short, right. Yeah. Short but interesting. Yes. yes. Short but interesting. <laughs> well, if we if we could uh, recap that a little bit, so authority comes from God and is dispersed, uh, delegated perhaps through to people who are image bearers. So we all have authority. Um, at a baseline, we have authority, and then throughout That's different right. offices, uh, and then in any situation, uh, I like the teacher and student picture there because uh, even the the, stu- the teacher and the student both have the ability to do things and the responsibility to do things right. because of the office that they hold. Um, yes. So, one of the questions is, obviously, at any given time, I I have different authorities in myself. D- different offices that I hold. For instance, I'm a parent and I'm a member of my church and exactly. I'm a taxpayer in my school district and a citizen of the state and all of these different places. Uh, I'm going to specifically narrow into the parent context for a second. All of these places would try to make demands on my kids or me about my kids. So I, I have authority in various offices in those those environments, but how do I know when one sphere of authority has um, um, inappropriately overreached. Another, yeah, overreached. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and 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 of course that there there's no simple answer to that. You know, I think I think we can probably intuit in some fashion when when authority is overreached. You know, we all we all know of the controlling parents. You know, mm. of adult of adult children. You know, it's the stuff of advice columns in the newspapers. You know, we all we all know of, of governments that overreach. We know of um, of um, uh, maybe uh, chief executive officers of of corporations that that overreach their authority in some in some fashion. You know, so uh, but and and I think we we all sense on some level that this is wrong, but but we may not know how to um, how to rectify the situation. Now, a political constitution that, uh, you know, a, a, a good political constitution is one in which that, well, that provides for the rectification of these sorts of imbalances. Mm. You know, so so in the 18th century, you had the American founders placing the famous checks and balances within their, within their document to try to uh, prevent um, um, 
one particular institution becoming too large, too great, too powerful at the expense of the others. Uh, you know, in, in, in Canada, we followed more the English constitution as it had developed by the end of the 19th century. And so, you know, we have this principle of responsible government in which the, um, the, the government of the day, the prime minister and his cabinet are responsible to, to the parliament, the lower chamber of parliament, the House of Commons. Um, and, and if at any time the House of Commons withdraws its confidence, then the government would have to resign. You know, it's um, I, I, I don't think it's the the balance doesn't always work the way it's supposed to, but at least in theory that that's it. So a, a good constitution provides for its own own amendment and for for redressing balances in for redressing imbalances that develop within it. So really, the uh, we we don't unfortunately I don't have how to live life written down perfectly. So none never, of us do. Right. No. So you're you're calling for. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm picturing Aristotle's golden mean at this point where uh, there's a virtue that you're trying to pursue and you don't want right. to um, over pursue it or under pursue it. And so there's this authority right. piece in the middle where I don't want to um, uh, relinquish my own authority and, and be negligent, uh, maybe in being a parent or being a citizen, um, but also don't want to be overbearing in my authority either. So there's a constant uh, evaluation of how am I one serving with my authority and uh, two, making sure that everyone's everything's sitting in the right spot, which is, is just going to be constant. There's with so many different relationships. You, I think I feel like you're challenging us to uh, yeah. a more engaged life. Which oh, is absolutely, yeah, that's right, yeah, and to recognize that we all all live within limits. Mm. So I so I would tell my students again, you know, if, after I'd asked them who has authority in the classroom, I would I would talk about the limits to my own authority. You know, I, I can't tell them what to eat for supper um, mm. tonight. You know, I can't tell them whom they should marry. I can't tell them, you know, a whole bunch of things. They, they have to decide these things for themselves. And, uh, you know, that's part of their authority as as the multifaceted image of God. You know, so they have responsibilities to, to their church community, to their, you know, to their birth family, uh, to friends, uh, to uh, to other communities of which they might be members as well mm. so those those are things that 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 undergraduate students that are growing into and and it was my um privilege during the 30 years that i was teaching to be able to watch this happen in the in the young people that i was that i was mentoring during that time some of them some of my former students have become dear friends of mine that i still um, i still keep in contact with you know and the relationship changes one of the things that i tell them after they graduate i said okay i'm no longer professor coises you have to call me david for now. you know mm. and they kind of Ooh, ooh, you know, they're, they're not sure whether they like that, you know, but then they, 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 they get used to it. And that's, that's, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's a signifies that the relationship has changed. Mm -hmm. Is there, um, would you use the language of spheres of authority? Yes. You would. Okay. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very much, um, um, indebted to Abraham Kuyper. Sure. Uh, you know, so he was, uh, he was the, um, polymath, you know, a brilliant um, Netherlander who lived between 18, 1837 and, and uh, 1920. And he was prime minister of the Netherlands between 1901 and 1905. He founded the Free University in, in, of Amsterdam. Um, he, he founded a, uh, uh, the uh, Anti-Revolutionary Party, which was the first Christian Democratic Party in the world. And as a matter of fact, the first organized political party in the Netherlands as well. And he had this idea of sphere sovereignty, 
or sovereignty in his right. own sphere. And I think that's that's very important. Um, I I have I use a different term. I use the the notion of societal pluriformity or the pluriformity of authorities is the one that I use, particularly in we answer to another. So pluriformity is something that your spell checks won't recognize. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I I'm pretty sure that I didn't invent the word, but uh, but nice. I, I always have to put it into the into the word processing software. And um, uh, but it it I think it tells us that the whole of society is made up of multiple forms, multiple formations, and they each of them each of them has a different character and has a different role to play in uh, in society. And I think these roles, um, you know, they're given by God, not to say that they were present, say in Genesis one, you know, they, they develop over time because we are culture forming beings. But insofar as we bring these things into existence, they have certain limits, you know, normative limits, I would say, within which they operate. And that's simply to recognize that that God's creation is a variegated creation. It's a, mm. you know, it's it's colorful. It's, it includes all sorts of different creatures in the animal kingdom, different kinds of minerals, different kinds of chemicals and like. And society is the same. There are all sorts of different, in a mature differentiated society, such as um, Canada, United States, um, uh, and increasingly clear around the world, we see a variety of institutions and communities that that have their own role to play uh, within a society. And if one of them becomes too big, if one of them tries to take over the roles that are are performed by the others, then we have the danger of totalitarianism. Mm. Well, I ask about the spheres because what you you know the way we've been talking, it sounds like pluriformity i just wanted to use the yeah, word sure. um more that because a sphere sounds simple right i'm either yeah. in the sphere or out of the sphere and right. you know granted there's some overlap like a venn diagram but yeah. but you're the way that i am sort of experiencing this conversation is that that we live in a venn diagram of authority more <laughs> or less that there's all kinds of yeah. different um webs or, or relationships of authority and yeah at the same time yeah, yeah that's right and and that's um you know that that that's so so you know i'm i'm father to my daughter i'm husband to my wife you know up at, my mother died in may but before that i was a, a son to my to my mother you know and and, and um i'm a, a member of carp the canadian association of retired persons you know that i'm a member of the first hamilton christian reform church i'm a, i'm a uh, you know i'm a member of this group and that group and so forth and 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 that's as it should be, you know. None none of those exhausts who we are, as human beings created in God God's image. And this mm. is what this was the real offense of slavery, you know. If you think of slavery in the 19th century, you know, in, in the United States, um, in uh, um, in Brazil up until about 1888, 1889, um, in the Ottoman Empire up until right up until about 1924, uh, you know, the 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 real offense of slavery. Is, is that it is robbing human beings of this multifaceted um, image that, um, that in, in which they were created. So they, 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 they have only one relationship, and that is to their owner. It robs hmm. them of their humanity. You know, and, and there's a sense in which we all own each other. You know, so it's not so much that ownership is wrong because you know i belong to my wife i belong to my daughter my daughter belongs to me mm. you know we could talk about ownership 
in a certain sense. But the real offense of, of slavery is to pretend that, that that I can own every element of a single person, hmm. and that that every aspect of that person is under is under my authority. And that's a violation of their of their humanity, an yeah, egregious violation of their humanity. That. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's a fascinating way to think about. It. That's not a, a category I have used for that, so that's really helpful. Um, I think one more thing I, I'd like to drill into a little bit. You do reference uh, the idea of charismatic authority in the book, and and some will use that right. as a as a definition of authority. And I've I've yeah. seen that. Uh, being used even this week as I was preparing for this, yeah. I was on Twitter, or I guess it's called X now, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> yes. And I saw a, uh, an actor uh, that was giving a statement about um, former president Trump and he was okay. exerting something, but, and, and it was trending and it was becoming this big thing. And I thought, okay, there's, there's charismatic authority there, but yes. he doesn't hold any office that I don't hold. There's, there's not well, anything right. um, authoritative there. And there's a seems to me that there's a danger that to place so much emphasis on a charismatic authority. Yeah. Um, how does that? We're talking about all these different relationships. How does yeah. charismatic authority, or depending on charismatic authority, distort our proper relationship to authority? Yeah, that's right. And there, there was a, a chapter that I devote in this book to Max Weber. You know, Max Weber is the one who came up with these categories of authority. You know, the, the traditional authority, which is is a, a kind of not so much an office, but a status which is inherited um, mm. from, you know, heritable from one person to, to the next. You know, the, the monarchy here in Canada, uh, you know, Prince uh, King Charles inherited his throne from from his late mother, uh, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, then there's legal authority or, or rational authority, as it's sometimes sometimes called as well, which is resident in the office. And there's charismatic authority. And that's when you, that's the sort of thing where you have a, a, a leader who simply through the force of, his or her personality um, gathers people around him and commands them, commands them in, su- in such a way that they'll do his bidding simply because he has this 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 charismatic um, authority around him. But I, you know, the, I, but Weber also had this idea of the routinization of charisma. Uh, you know that it has to be routinized in some kind of a, of an office before it becomes legitimate. But there is a certain danger. Yes, you know, if you have somebody who you know, has no office, um, simply, um, you know, says, okay, I'm your leader now, follow me. Mm. Um, and you have no idea who they are, but they, but they have persuasive. There are people who have personal magnetism, mm-hmm. you know, that simply attract people to themselves. You know, I've known people like that and I can, and, and I recognize that in them, but, uh, you know, and there are people who have the capacity to gather people around them and, uh, maybe to foment a revolution or rebellion or something along those lines. But once again, that that's when you're in danger, because um, at least with with the rule of law and with designated offices, in principle, you know where you stand. Mm. With a charismatic figure, you have no idea where you stand. You know, if so, they want to take off your head, then then they'll do that if they think that that will bolster their their um, authority and the and uh, with with the people around them. Mm. So is that not then is real authority? I mean, it's it's more. Yeah. Would you say? I mean, it's not just simply charisma. Maybe it is, but yeah. I mean, something more like coercion does, at some point. Right? At what point does it become it's, authority versus? Charisma? Well, it's 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 a kind of power that I think, in some sense, can be mistaken for authority. Uh, you know, it's 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 power, yes, but but power 
itself does not confer authority. And that's, that's I have a chapter devoted to that as well, trying to distinguish, uh, probably at too much length, but uh, to try to, to, fair, to, to distinguish between authority and power and different, different, uh, notions of of power, you know. So so, some people will say, well, authority is really kind of psychological power, or it's or it's persuasive power, or it's it's instruments of power, or it's it's voluntary promises or contracts or something along those lines. Some people, you know, if you're a national socialist, will think, well, it's you know, it's 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 superiority, racial superiority, or something along those lines. You know, all of um, the kinds of instruments, the kinds of power that we have, can be. Um, means for the exercise of authority but they're not to be identified with authority so i think you know the charismatic authority that weber uh um theorized about uh you know it it can become authority perhaps but but if the charismatic figure does uh manage to attain office okay then somehow um that office should remain distinguishable from the person exercising mm. it you know, mm. so you should be able to imagine some, you know, the imagination has to enter into into it in some fashion that you have to imagine that office without that person in it. You know, so in 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 countries that have 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 experienced a revolution and a revolutionary leader comes to power, you'll notice that the leader becomes very old, cannot give up power. Castro, you know, became very old. Um, you know, and eventually, eventually died. You know, in the Soviet Union, it was a kind of gerontocracy. You had this, the old communist leaders. Leonid Brezhnev, you know, was the uh, died in 1982, and then Gorbachev comes to power. There were two short-lived leaders after that, and then there was there was Gorbachev. But you know, um, uh, Brezhnev had been born in the first decade of the 20th century before the revolution. But he was holding on for dear life because there's there's a fear of handing down the office to a younger generation. And so, you know, the charismatic authority, if it's attached too closely to one single person, a single personality, then they may formally hold the office. But there's a there's a danger that they will hold on to that office so tightly that the only way to get rid of them is to is to launch another revolution. Hmm. When it does, it reminds me. Uh, you were talking about uh, your your office as a teacher, as a professor, and right, how yes. you don't have authority over what they can eat or what they can, um, what they should do in the evening or extracurricular or whatever. And That's I think right. that is evidence of uh, a loving office holder trying to say, exactly. okay, th this is the bounds of my authority. That's and right. I I do think a student viewing that, especially if there's a charismatic teacher, I, I think often students will say, oh, we like this person. Please tell me what to yeah. do in, in all aspects of yeah. life. And I think that's a, <laughs> oh. that is evidence that there is a desire to have proper authority established throughout. And I think right. uh, you end the book with this, but one of the things we need to look out for is um, our, our role is to love people with the authorities that we have. Uh, we right. sit in offices that's and now right. we need to, we need to love. And it, I think you could, it, yeah. you, you may have charisma, but it would be yeah. a, how do I love these people with this and not just pull them in and try to gain all the authority possible? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's not about me. You know, I mean, the authority that we are given is always for other people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the exercise of office is subject to the central love command. In other words, to love God and to love our neighbor. 
It's not to build ourselves up. It's not. It's not to um, uh, to build up our egos in some fashion. You know, there there are some people that, that like um, having this authority. They like being surrounded by all these people that are are hanging on their every word. Yeah, and they, they, you know, there are preachers that are like that, and I think we all know about them. Mm. You know, preachers who who you know they're uh, they're preachers of uh, um, pastors of mega churches. They have very compliant boards. Um, there the, may be an independent congregation that's not sufficiently accountable to other, um, you know, to a presbytery or, or or a bishop, you know, depending on the, the the denomination and so forth. And and sometimes those those preachers can get, um, you know, they're human. You know, they can they can get a large ego because everybody is is hanging on their words, and um, and it's a very unhealthy situation. Well, it's a, it's a good a good warning and a good thing to look out for. Is there anything else you want to share about the book? I want you to have the last word on the book. If there's anything else we missed or should should bring up now, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, no, I, I I think what you know, I will I will say that um, that people who are constantly dissing authority, putting down authority, are very often people with tyrannical personalities. Hmm. You know, they'll 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 dis authority. You know the, the the legitimate offices that have been set up within a particular organization, but for them, you know, they if 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 that authority is gone, then they can exert their own authority, and they may not have mm. a sense of their own limits, a sensible, uh, a, you know, an understanding of of what what their limitations are. And I, and again, I think people who who are dissing authority um, might end up being very dangerous people. You want to keep your mm. eye on them. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, Thank you so much. The book for all the listeners is uh, We Answer to Another, Authority, Office, and the Image of God. And David, you mentioned there's a future book coming out. If you want to share that with the listeners so we can anticipate that together, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I would be delighted. That's right. Yes. I, uh, uh, I have a book coming out in November of 2024, next year. Uh, it's it's under the work also from University Press, uh, which published my first book, Political Visions and Illusions. Uh, the 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 title, the working title, um, and I don't know whether this will end up being the official title or not, is Citizenship Without Illusions. And the illusions in the title of this book is is an allusion to the illusions in the in the title of the of the, of the first book. So it's a uh, it's um uh, it arises out of the out of my first book, Political Visions and Illusions. Because uh, people who have read it and understand the relationship between ideologies and idolatry, uh, they ask, well, my goodness, we, we know this now. What are we going to do with all this information mm. that we have? You know, do we just withdraw from political life? Well, no, we can't do that. So this is a way, uh, it's a way of trying to help people to understand, well, how do we discharge the office of citizen within our respective political communities in a way mm. that is honoring to God and and exhibits the love of God and the love of our neighbor as well. Mm. So that's what what this book is about. And um, as I said, it will be coming out in November of next year. I just uh, I just got the report from the publisher a couple of weeks ago, and I'm now working on the on the, on the very slight revisions that they're asking. Mm. I want to say that sounds very interesting. The other thing I want to say is that um, no, November of next year is too late. <laughs> I want that book to be out right now, and yes. uh, I want to know about it. So, anyway, yeah. but, well, I, I can yeah. forgive you for that, but yes, yeah, um, um, yeah I'll, I'll. I know what book I'm starting in November of 2024. 
but I'll be <laughs> waiting for it until then. So great, great. Good to hear it. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, like I mentioned before, we, we quote you a lot. So it's always a pleasure to be able to talk with you. Oh, thank you very much. And I'm, I'm very happy to, to have been here. Huh. Well, listeners, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us. If you find what we're doing helpful, a review would go a long way to getting this to other people and share it with a friend. If you have questions, send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com. And we look forward to the next conversation. <laughs> <laughs>